wants to be our master. That Jesus wants to be the master of our life. And that means that we have to surrender to him. And that goes kind of against everything that we know about our culture, right? We live in a culture that, you know, never surrender, right? Hold on to the very last. Uh, Do everything on our own. Um, Even oftentimes we live in kind of a consumeristic mentality as far as our our faith goes. And, And a lot of people come to Jesus not with a, I'm giving you my life mindset, but more with a what can you do for me mindset. Right? Hey, God, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I get what you did, and you know, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a try and see if you can get me out of this, you know, and and that's kind of the way a lot of us give our life to Christ, and a lot of those, a lot of us that do that, we grow through that, and I'm always thankful for that. We grow through that and become mature to a point where we understand it's more than that. But, but a lot of the premise is, Jesus, what can you do for me? Surrender is a difficult thing. I play this game with my son. Um, it's called Axes and Allies, and it's a kind of a uh, strategic World War II game. And it takes hours to play. Uh, Tanya hates this game because, you know, we'll, we'll set up and we'll, we'll, it takes like about seven hours for us to play this game. And, um, and the reality is, is usually about two hours in, usually you can kind of tell who's going to win, Right? But neither one of us are ever willing to surrender, right? We always, because there's always a chance, right? There's that last chance. And I kind of feel like that's what we do with God, right? God, I am going to do this. I'm going to everything I can to do this. I'm going to control it. I'm going to put it, make it go the way I want. And then when there's just no hope left, okay, God, I surrender, right? Okay, God, now I'll surrender, Rather than having a mindset and a heart to say, God, I surrender. I surrender. It's, it's yours. I don't even want to try this on my own. I want to turn it over to you. We have a pride in not wanting to give up and give God control. I would say that surrender is probably the biggest thing that separates a follower and a moralist. What do I mean by that? There are a lot of moralists. There are a lot of people that live good lives. You know, they're, they're law-abiding citizens. They, they just kind of have a, a good moral compass, if you will. They, they understand the goods and the bads about living a moral, moral life, and they choose that, and they, they're able to do that. They walk the line, if you will. And then there are others who, that's not necessarily their personality, right? They, they like to push it. They like to to bend the lines. They like to go outside the limits. They, they, and it's not easy for them to live a moral life. But you see, the difference between a moralist and a, and a Christ follower is a Christ follower doesn't just live a moral life. A Christ follower surrenders everything over to God. You can be someone who has cut a lot of things out of your life. You know, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. You can be that guy, right? Or... But doesn't necessarily mean you've surrendered anything to Jesus. In fact, I would maintain that there are a lot of Christ followers who live far less moral lives than some moralists. But you know what? If you were a heroin-addicted prostitute 
and, and you're not necessarily living the life of a, a, a you know, housewife with 2.5 kids driving a Mercedes, you can't necessarily, you, you compare, you had a longer road to travel. And God's still working on us, right? So a lot of times we look and we go, oh, well, this person's not as good. That, that, that has nothing to do with it. You can't judge the journey that someone's on. You can't judge their walk. You, we, it, it, they may be far more surrendered to Christ than the person who lives just a moral life. So we're called to surrender. Jesus said in Matthew 16, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, it's not just a matter of cutting certain things out of your life or or walking by a certain line. It's a matter of denying myself, denying what I want and turning it over to him. In fact, I believe that the the, the, the two most offensive points of the gospel are one, the total grace of Christ. The total grace of Christ is very offensive to some people. Why? Because we like to earn it. We like to believe we're better than other people, right? We, we, we also have, we know with us, there's always a line. Everybody has a line. You know, a line of you've offended me to the point where now you're outside of my grace. And it's impossible for many to believe that Jesus' grace is not like that. It's impossible for many to believe that, that Jesus could love a Jeffrey Dahmer or, a, or, or, a, or someone who's just done things that just go far outside of what we could ever forgive. So to, the total grace of Christ is very offensive to many people. And the total surrender is very offensive to us. Why? Because I work hard, Right? I work hard to not be like them. So therefore, I should get special privilege. Right? It's the older brother syndrome in the, in the story of the, the uh, prodigal of the lost son. You know, the lost son ruins everything, ru- loses his dad's inheritance, totally goes out and sins, pretty much spits in the face of his dad. And when he comes back, what's his dad do? Wraps his arms around him, loves him. And the oldest son is like, really? Give me a break. What about me? You know, I, I, I did this. I should, I should be looked, up, looked higher than him. So surrender, the idea of surrendering everything to him, it's a tough one, and it can be offensive for a lot of us. So let's look at that and what it means to surrender. First, if you're, if you're following along in your notes, we are called to surrender. We're called to surrender all. Um, when we, we have baptism day here, we, we have a motto or a theme, and that is, I'm all in. And which, by the way, if you've, if you've ever been to our baptism days, it, we, we do them in the summer, it'll be here in June, we do it, we'll do it out here with the mountains in the back, and, and uh, it's a great day you know, to make sure you're part of it. And if you've never been baptized, if you've never made that step of proclamation of faith in front of other people, um, we, you know, we love you to do that. It's, a, it's just an awesome way to celebrate. But what our, our, our motto is, is I'm all in, and that's because that's pretty much what we're saying. When you take a step of baptism, you're saying in front of, you're proclaiming to others, I am sold out to this. I am all in. I'm holding nothing back from Jesus. 
It's all his. The good, the bad, and the ugly is all turned over to him. And see, that's what he wants. He's wanting us to surrender all of it. In Matthew 8, <coughs> Matthew 8, verse 18 through 22, Jesus has some, a couple different people approach him and tell him that they want to follow him. Let's, let's look at this. Matthew 8, starting verse 18, it says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds have, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, you might say, well, that was you know, pretty severe of Jesus to not let him bury his dad. Chances are that, that if you read about the, his, the um, cultural significance of that, it, people, when, when your parents were ill, you kind of stopped life and you went and you took care of them till the point that, they, that you buried them. And that, you know, he was probably saying, hey, you know, as soon as this happens, I'm, you know, probably a week or a couple months away, you know, uh, and Jesus was saying, you know, no, you want to follow me, you got to follow me now. But, but I think about that, and how often, how often do we say to Jesus, hey, I'll follow you, but first, right? I'll follow you, Jesus, but first, let me, well, I'll follow you, Jesus, but first, if I, I need you to, right? Or, Jesus, I'll follow you if, Jesus, I'll follow you if my family's healthy. Jesus, I'll follow you if you take care of my finances. Jesus, I'll follow you if my life is happy. Right? Jesus, I'll follow you if. Or when. Right? I'll follow you. Jesus, when. When all of these ducks are in a row, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I am so on board. I'm going to follow you. Jesus, when I, when I do this, I'm, I, when, once this is done, I am, I am so, I'm, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, when, when, when my kids are at a certain point, then, then man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn everything over to you. When, 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 my, when I'm self-sufficient financially, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. Right? We, just, we have all these things, when and if and how and where and and, and just a bunch of things we put on it. I, I'm really excited about it. There's a family in our church who we haven't gotten to know them. They're an awesome family, the Krolls. And uh, I, I really was excited because a couple of weeks ago, they came to me and talked to me about how they're looking for a mission opportunity for them to take all of their kids on. And I think that's a great thing to do because I know a lot of people, they go, oh, God, as soon as my kids are raised, you know, and then, then I'll do those kinds of things. And, and I, I think, no, this is awesome. Right now, while your kids can experience this and actually see the world from God's point of view versus from their little bubble of, you know, middle America view, like, take them and get them into that. It's not an if and when. It's a, it's a right now. I, we, want, we, want to, we want our family to experience this. We want, we want to be in the middle of serving you right now. But we, so often for us, there's a but, a first, and a win. And if, you, if you're looking at that passage, look up into verse 5 and compare this for a second. The, see, these people say, oh, I'll, I'll follow you. I'll follow you, Jesus, when? Or I'll follow you if. But, then, but just before that, Jesus had come across this centurion um, soldier. 
And the centurion comes up to him and, and basically says, Lord, I have a servant. He's paralyzed and he's suffering terribly. And Jesus says, shall I come and heal him? But listen to what the centurion says. Centurion says, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, it's interesting. The centurion never makes some crazy claim that he's going to leave everything and follow him. But who was showing the most trust? Right? See, he, he, he didn't even have to say, oh, Jesus, I follow you. His heart already trusted Jesus. You don't even have to come. I trust that you are who you are. I trust that you can take care of this so well that you don't even have to come. Because I know you can, you can do it. I don't even feel worthy. I don't feel worthy to be, to have you do this, but, I, but I, I'm asking for my servant. And, and so I'm just going to trust that you'll do it. And Jesus says, goes on to say in verse 10, he says, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. See, he had surrendered to the point where he was saying, I, I trust you with everything. Do we trust him with everything? Are we, are we willing to give it over to him? In Daniel chapter 3, of three young Jewish guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They actually had different names. They were these names um, because they were living in captivity in Babylon. And most of you have, are, are aware of this story. But these guys were just living normal lives. In fact, they were living pretty... Uh, privileged lives, because even though they were in captivity, they were among the elite in, in what, who they were, and so they were used by, by, uh, the, by Nebuchadnezzar to kind of be in the council, and so they, they lived kind of privileged lives. And it might have been easy to kind of go, oh, see, those guys really aren't as sold out as someone else. That kind of thing. But, but Nebuchadnezzar had established this huge statue of himself, um, and he had said, look, everybody at certain times, music is going to play. And you all have to bow down to my statue when you hear this music. He didn't struggle with pride at all. So he, 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 everyone has to bow down. And the music plays. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't bow down. And they won't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar calls him out on it. And he says, look, if you don't do this, I'm going to have you thrown into the fiery furnace. But look at, what, look at what happened, they say, in verse 17 of Daniel chapter 3. It says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But listen to this. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. See, it wasn't a prayer to God. Hey, God, deliver us from this furnace, and then we stand for you, we will worship you, we'll, we'll follow you. It was a proclamation. Hey, we know he's able to, so we trust him and we will follow him. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we surrender to him. Even if he doesn't, we will not surrender to anyone else. So he wants us to surrender everything. What does that look like in our lives? Let's just talk about a few areas of our life. The first and probably one of the most obvious is sin, right? Surrender. And to him. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. <coughs> Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 12, really. And this is a hard one for people to understand because we talk so much about grace. And I actually have some 
people, religious critics that come to me sometimes and say, yeah, your problem, you guys are so focused on grace, everyone just wants, everyone just gets to live however they want. You gotta have standards, you have to have rules. And I tell them all the time, I go, no, that's not the case. You see, because once you really fully understand the grace of God, the only natural response is to respond in seeking him. It's not about the rules, it's about understanding that, that we turn ourselves over to him out of gratitude to him, not, not out of we have to have rules. And look, Paul addresses the same thing in Romans chapter six. He says, what shall we say then? Because he was being criticized for preaching grace. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You do not know that, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of our Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He goes on in verse 11. Skip down to verse 11. He says, So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now, if you're new in Christ, chances are this sin one, this is where most of your focus is going, right? If you're, if you're a newer Christ follower, the whole idea of surrendering your sin, that takes a lot of focus, right? You know, maybe, you know, you're like, man, I'm, I'm just surrendering Friday nights right now, right? I'm just, uh, that's, that's where I'm, that's, that's taking a lot of my, my energy or, you know, um, you know, I'm living with a boyfriend or girlfriend, and I'm working on surrendering you know, that relationship and getting, and getting that into a, a, a place that honors God. Or I'm, you know, my marriage. My marriage is, we've both just been living fully for ourselves, looking at the relationship only to please our, our personal selves and not to, not to serve one another. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm working on that. What, you know, whatever, whatever that is. This takes a lot of focus for a lot of people that are, that are new in Christ. But if you've grown in Christ, hopefully you've grown past the point of this being a lot of your focus, at least a lot of the major, you know, just obvious sins. You know, if I, I find in my life sin is like an onion, right? There's, there's very obvious layers. That, then I peel back and I go, ah, oh, there's more. Dang it. And I peel those back and I go, ah, oh, there's more. And I peel those back and I go, oh, this is the real problem, right? And it, and it just, so sin keeps, it, 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 there's, it's always there. We never master sin. But if we're ever going to experience the new life that Christ has for us, we have got to surrender our sin to him. It has to be turned over to him. But as long as we live in this, as Paul says later on, this body of death, as long as we live in this body of death, we're going to sin. But he, there's a difference between stumbling in sin and embracing sin. And I like what he says there in verse 12. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And you might understand the difference of that. See, there are certain sins in my life that I, I stumble into. I just I, I have a moment of weakness. I'm I'm struggling. I, I you know maybe lack of sleep or or just frustration going on in my life, and I, and I'll, I'll struggle. I'll I'll stumble or struggle into a sin. But then there are other sins in my life, who I, that I hold on to. 
they, 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 they have a, they'll, they, I almost have it sometimes, sometimes in my life I've had a passion for certain sins. And, and maybe you understand that. Maybe you're like, yeah, okay, I see the difference there that certain things sometimes I just do and I don't mean to do it and I ask forgiveness and it's not part of who I am. But then there are sins that, I, man, I hold on to that. And this morning I would challenge you to really search your heart on that. And ask yourself, are there sins that I hold on to, that I've embraced as a part of my life, that I have a passion for, that they are reigning in my life? You know, maybe it's gossip. Maybe you, you almost thrive on gossip. You can't wait to get, get together with a certain person or certain people to just badmouth other people. Or just to, to let it you know, to, to just kind of get it off your chest because you, you, a certain, maybe it's a certain someone who's just fun to pick on for you. And, and you, it's just, it's, that's a just destructive thing in your life. But you look forward to it and you like it and you need to get rid of it. Maybe, maybe it's gluttony. You know, maybe we, we all different times struggle. We, maybe not all of you, some of you, I know you just never overeat. You know, but, but, uh, but, I sometimes just, you know, I overeat. I, you know, I, and I'll be honest, I'm planning on overeating in about four hours. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, every now, but it's not something that reigns in my life. I don't have something that just every now, that I just like, oh, I just need, I need to eat. I need more, more food. I need, you know, or, or I turn to it when I'm, when I'm struggling. And maybe it is something for you. You turn to it when you're depressed. You turn to it when you're struggling. You're, you, you turn to it. And it's something you need to learn Continue to give over to God. Maybe it's pornography. You know, we live in a pornography culture, and, and porn, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to avoid nowadays. But, but and guys, and ladies too, I know, but, but guys, you know the difference between once a year or something, you stumble upon something, and you're looking for it. You know the difference. And, 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 and if that's the case, you, you need to deal with it. And you need, to, you need to turn that over. You need to surrender that. And I could go on and on between lying and pride and divisiveness and greed and selfishness. I mean, we go on with our sins, and we all have different sins that we struggle with, but is there something you're holding on to and you're passionate about just that's a part of me, that's who I am? Because if it is you, you need to surrender that. You need to turn it over to him if you're ever going to experience the new life he has for you. But it goes deeper than just eliminating sin, right? Surrendering to Jesus is, goes deeper than just saying, okay, I cut these things out of my life. <clears throat> it's a matter of turning. Paul, Paul says, offer your bodies right, as a living sacrifice. He's saying, everything about you, turn over to him. Jesus says, pick up your cross. I yourself. See, that means eliminating things. It means our time, our finances, our relationships, our plans, our thoughts, it all is. Over 15 times in the New Testament, we are referred to as servants or slaves of Christ. And you know, sometimes it's easy to read the Bible and go, well, because there is, there's, there's translation issues sometimes in the original language to our language. And, and there are certain words that the pastor can come up and explain and say, hey, you know, it says closest we have in our language, but it kind of means this and give a big, broader definition. Well, it doesn't. This isn't one of those places. There's this analogy. 
This, this is a, the, the clearest word. The word literally in the Greek means a person owned as property by another and the relationship that bound the owner to, and the slave. That, that's the word that's being used there. And see, slavery was such a wide spread part. It was a, the, the entire economic system of the Roman government was based on slavery. At one time in Rome, one in two people was a slave. So, so pretty much if there was one person, another person, one of those two was a slave to another. That, that, that it was all based on that. So these people understood what he was talking about. He was talking about totally turning their life over to him. So that means things like relationships, turning our relationships over to him. See, once we understand that we're not our own, that means even our relationships are his. You know, I, the dad, that, the struggle I have there with relationships is my, my kids, right? My kids are my three older. They're getting older. They're kind of at a stage where they got to make their own decisions. They got to choose their own life. I would love to choose if they go to school, where they go to school, what kind of job they have, who they marry, where they... I would love to choose all that, right? Kind of just, hey, this is, you know, live the life I want you to live, right? But that's not, that's not the way it works, right? And the problem is, I'm saying that, like I admit, I'm admitting that, yeah, that's a little bit of a struggle, but I know it. I think a lot of parents don't realize it, and they're doing it, right? Where we, want, we, we manipulate and we try to control oftentimes to get our kids to do what we want them to do versus trusting them to God. And that has to start at a young age. That means when you're right here constantly all over, sometimes you've got to let it back off and trust it. We, got, we have to trust our kids to God. Our, our spouses, right? Maybe, maybe you're trying to control your relationship with your spouse. You have this weird idea that, you know, someday they're going to be perfect like you. If they just would listen. Right? You know why humor's funny, right? Because it's true. <laughs> so so we, we, we want to control our spouse sometimes. And I know for me, when I stop worrying that my wife isn't doing things that I want her to, and I start asking God for me to love her like he loves her, God help me to love my wife like you love her and like you love me, man, it totally changes everything. Changes completely the way I interact with my wife. Maybe, maybe it's, it's other relationships and friends. We have to turn our relationships over to him, surrender them to him. What about our <clears throat> Surrendering our finances, that's a tough one. In Mark 12, we see that Jesus was at the temple. In Mark 12, verse 41 through 44, he was at the temple and he sees giving offerings and he says this in, 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 verse, uh, in verse 41, it says, He sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. Put in everything, all she had to live in. See, she put in everything, all she had to live on. She gave it to him. She, she turned it over to him. You know, a few weeks back, we talked about stewardship. And the whole idea of a steward is, is we got, it's God's. And, and we, he gives it to us to manage. 
But I'll tell you, when it comes to it, quite honestly, most Christ followers have a totally, we have a totally distorted view of our finances. The problem is we use the word our, right, instead of his. See, we see it as, well, this is all mine, and God keeps asking me for some of it, right? And I don't like the person who he's using to ask, and I don't like the place, and I don't, you know, and I'll give you this, and you keep taking some of my stuff, God, right? But, see, once we take on the mindset of tithing, we understand and being in generous giving, we understand that this is all his, and I am blessed even, the, I'm, I'm, of the people in the world, I am, I am blessed up to the top 2% of the people in this world. And God has, and, it's, and no, I'm not the one who chose to live here. So you, did, it, you didn't make it happen to yourself. You know, you didn't make it all happen. Maybe God put you here, right? No, you, you didn't choose what gifts and strengths you have. God gave you those. Right? And we, we get, begin to see it and understand it, that this is yours, God. And, and I'm going to give this 10% just as, a, just as the start for me to understand that, that, that you're letting me use this to live on, but, but this is always a reminder to me that it's yours. It's yours. And guess what? When we have that attitude... Oftentimes we find that he asks and it goes beyond that and we, we're able to do it. I know when I, my mindset changed from, tithe, from just a reluctant, frustrated giver to a tither, my finances changed completely. And it wasn't that I made more money. It wasn't that God like miraculously made my bills go less. God made me see I don't need most of it. And so I have more available. Because I'm not constantly looking for that next thing. Next is our thoughts. What about our thoughts? You ever think about that? Your thoughts are supposed to be surrendered to him. And that's probably one of the hardest places because those are private, right? Those are private, right? So it doesn't matter that what you don't or don't say about your in-laws to your spouse. If you're thinking them, right, it's still wrong. Okay? It's, it's, it doesn't matter. See, we, we, we can... Go a lot of places in our heads, can't we? I know a lot of people that, hey, it's okay for me to have a fantasy about affairs as long as I don't do it. It's okay for me to just fantasize about what it would be like to be rich all the time as long as I'm doing what I needed to do. But see, when, when we're just constantly thinking about things that, that don't honor God and we're not surrendering those things to Him, eventually our life starts to go that way. You know, you... Read, read any psychologist stuff, they'll, they'll tell you, you, as your thoughts go, your actions begin to go. And it's easy to hide that because it's private, but it eventually comes out. What about our plans? <clears throat> our plans. In James 4, verse 13 through 15, I think James gives a great picture of, of how our mindset should be about our plans. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow... We'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Talking about this in my small group uh, this, this week, that, um, you know, we... 
we have an illusion of control in this world. Right? We have the illusion of control, but the reality is, is any one of us could die on our way home. I was preaching a sermon one time at a church, and a lady died there. She didn't die in the service, she, but she started going, having a problem and, and was rushed to the hospital and died right there. We, we, don't, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't have control. And we, we need to remember that when it comes to our plans. Now, is there anything wrong with having a plan? I, I don't think so. But we need, to, we need to have a plan that we hold loosely. Right? We, need to, we need to hold our plans like this before God. Right? And let him take them. Let him change them. Because what happens when, when it changes, we're not willing to let go. We want to hold on and we fight God. And then finally, our time. Our time is the most precious gift that we can give someone. Because we can never get it back. We can't ever get it back. We need to surrender it to him. I, I think about how much time I spend sometimes just doing things that in no way contribute to others, contribute to him, that, that just are about me and being selfish. And, and there's nothing wrong with resting. There's nothing wrong with taking time. to. We, we need that to regenerate ourselves. But, but quite honestly, a lot of us, you know, we, we get stingy with our time. And, and we don't, we don't want to give it to him and surrender it to him. We want to hold on to our hobbies, our time, eat, things that eat up our time, all, all this kind of stuff rather than surrendering it to him. So we all have different things we need to surrender in our life. Hopefully as you're going through this, you're able to even just think about some, something. Something hit you and said, you know, yeah, I, I, I struggle with that one. I would encourage you to go home with it. Um, we forgot to put the little think about it section in your notes. Actually, I think it's, yeah, it's up there if you want to uh, take it or write it down. But I would encourage you to think about the areas of your life that you maybe struggle in surrendering to him. Maybe, maybe it's sin. Maybe, maybe it's the media in your life or it's work or your family or um, you know, just your own selfish desires or one of the sins that we talked about. But remember, it's not a matter of surrendering it because this makes me a better person. It's a matter of knowing that Jesus surrendered all for you. He surrendered his position in heaven to come and to live on this earth and have to live in a mortal body and, and, and deal with sin and, and, and see everything and, and be in a human perspective. But then he surrendered that life and gave it for us because he loves us that much. And so it's simply a matter of surrendering all for the one who surrendered all for you. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your word and your truth. And God, as we, <clears throat> we learn to be humble servants, we thank you for your grace because uh, we're really bad at it. Um, and yet you continue to love us and have grace on us and, and, uh, and wrap your arms around us when we fail. 
And so, God, I pray as we leave here, we would just be, we examine our hearts and, and know definitely things that we need to surrender. Um, and we would be challenged to turn those over to you um, and know that, that you accept us with open arms um, as we seek you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.